You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer. If you're brand new, a special welcome to you and uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Any mothers in the room, raise your hand if you would. I won't ask you to stand. You're probably tired being a mother. I understand that. Um, And I also understand that we talk about this often, that uh, Mother's Day is sometimes a very uh, complex or complicated holiday. Uh, I lost my mother in an accident 14 years ago this month. And so uh, Mother's Day carries with it some uh, some pain and some memories uh, that I just uh, wish she was here. Uh, We totally understand that. Some of you are trying to become mothers, and there's some pain involved with that. Uh, Totally understand that. Uh, And I also want you to know, like, it's okay in the midst of all that to celebrate, uh, to celebrate mothers. One of the most difficult and incredible jobs on the planet uh, and really things that God has blessed, uh, not just mothers with the the ability to be a mother, but all of us with the uh, blessing to to have a mother at some point. Uh, What an incredible calling. Just looking back on my life and to celebrate my wife and the mother she is uh, and all the blessings that uh, godly moms give, not just to their kids, but really to Jesus generations of the family. So uh, I want you to hear that we understand all of that and also we just want to celebrate mothers today uh, and pray rich blessings over you uh, as you uh, shepherd your children to love and to follow Jesus. Uh, If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 14. Uh, Romans 14, if you don't have a Bible, it will be here on the screen for you. Um, This is Paul once again getting into some very, very uh, practical things to the church in Rome about what does it mean to not just uh, belong to Jesus, but uh, as a church family, as a body of people trying to follow Jesus together. Some practical implications for us, and he's talking today about uh, this idea of being judgmental or passing judgment on someone. Uh, Apparently, uh, being judgmental is not a new thing. It's not a new phenomenon. It's been uh, it's been in existence probably since the beginning, uh, but Paul very specifically talks about it uh, today. Uh, he's going to give us uh, some uh, th- places where being judgmental comes from, uh, and then some ways that we can actually work together um, to try to avoid uh, passing unnecessary judgment onto one another. I don't know if you've ever been judged before. Uh, m- maybe you've done something uh, and you just v- you felt judgment. Uh, you felt like somebody around you did not agree with what you did, either your action uh, or maybe your intention behind something, uh, and maybe you just felt it, maybe they said it, maybe they posted something uh, online where you just felt like they were judging you. Uh, I'm guessing at some point all of you have been in that position. Uh, That's no fun. Amen? It's no fun being judged. Not being judged for something guilty, but being judged for something that uh, it's kind of morally neutral. But somebody disagrees with it and they uh, feel superior and they look down on you and then you feel inferior and it uh, causes division and a lot of problems. Uh, And this is not really anything new. Uh, Obviously, it was taking place 2,000 years ago and it's not uniquely a Christian challenge. And I hear this all the time. Uh, This is uh, a frustration uh, probably rightfully leveled at Christianity that some people feel like uh, if they come into a church that they're going to be judged or the Christians are very judgmental. uh, And there's no doubt that that's true. Paul's telling us how we can work through that. Uh, But I know a lot of non-Christians and they're equally judgmental. It seems like it's not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. But Christianity has a very powerful and unique antidote to it. 
So if we truly dive into what uh, Paul is saying, listen to it, uh, respond to it, do what we can. You can't control someone else's actions. You cannot control someone else's attitude. But we can work on ours. And if all of us work together, then we create an atmosphere that has less judgment um, than the past. So uh, Romans 14, uh, this is what Paul is talking about. Uh, And as we work through these first 12 verses, uh, I'm going to stop and interject as I often do uh, a a few times just to give you a little backdrop because if you're new to the Bible, uh, especially to the Old Testament backdrop of Romans, uh, then you may not understand what Paul is talking about. So I'll give a little injection along the way. Uh, We'll talk about where it comes from and how we will work on it. If you are up for that, say ready. Romans 14 verse 1, Paul says this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Uh, Paul is going to talk about two different types of Christians when he's talking about being judgmental. And he labels one as weak and one as strong. They're both Christians. They both belong to Jesus. They were both in this church in Rome, and they had different views on certain things, and one was being judgmental towards the other. Uh, Just so you know, that's the terminology that Paul uses, weak and strong, that we'll tease out. Uh, And he also draws a distinction between opinion and fact things that are just universally true of all people in all places and all times because God's Word says so, and things that are open for opinion. Did you notice there? He says, for the one that is weak in faith, and more on that later, welcome him, but don't quarrel, don't fight over opinions. That's different than facts. We'll keep going. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. Amen. You're like, that's my kind of people. I don't know which person that is, weak or strong, but that's me. I like to eat anything. He says, one person believes he made anything, while the weak person, so that first person is what he will refer to as the strong person in this argument, uh, believes he can eat anything, everything. There's nothing uh, off limits uh, for the Christian diet. He's he's referring to uh, Old Testament dietary laws um, that very clearly were uh, changed, and now everything, praise God, is open for the diet of the Christian, including pork including bacon. Can I get an amen? One person believes he may eat anything. Okay, Nothing is uh, unclean. Nothing is unholy for the Christian to eat. But the weak person eats only vegetables, uh, meaning that they believe there's some things. This is not a, a knock on vegetarians in this day and age uh, per se. Uh, what this is saying is somebody that uh, is still buying into all of the Old Testament dietary laws and restrictions and believes that you're sinning if you eat pork. That's different than just deciding, I don't want to eat meat. This may surprise you, but I was a full-on vegetarian for an entire year. No lie, I felt so good, but that is hard to do in West Texas. That's the difference he's talking about, using this dietary laws. Uh, And then he just kind of begins to work through how we're supposed to navigate differences. Verse 3, let not the one who eats... That's the one who feels freedom to eat absolutely anything they want. Despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment, there it is, on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
So the first analogy, or really a situation that they were dealing with, had to do with dietary laws. The second analogy has to do with uh, holy days. Some people felt like uh, certain festivals and certain holy days had to be uh, observed. And if you didn't, you were less Christian, you were sinful. And some persons believe that all days were the same. That's what he's referring to. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, meaning a personal conviction. And the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living." Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or do you despise your or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. And so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What you find out in this text is that there were some disagreements in the church in Rome and some people were being very judgmental and it was causing all sorts of problems. And so Paul is writing to try to remedy that. And I would make the case that it's still very, very relevant uh, for us to understand uh, where judgment comes from and how we ourselves can uh, navigate through that. Because uh, I'm sure you know this, but like this idea of being judgmental, it's a lose-lose. Because one person is going to pass judgment on another, and the one that's passing judgment normally feels uh, very superior. Uh, perhaps they feel uh, prideful, or they feel unnecessarily right, or they look down on someone else, uh, and that's not a win, right? In the gospel following Jesus, if you feel superior, that's, a, that, that, that's not a good way to go. And then the person that they look down upon or that they're judging uh, oftentimes feels inferior. Uh, they feel less. They feel looked down upon, maybe needlessly guilty or frustrated. Or in Paul's words, um, they will despise the person who's making them feel inferior. So it's, it's lose-lose. And it causes division, Right? If you've ever felt that, somebody judging you, uh, in that moment, you probably didn't feel really unified with them. Uh, you felt very separated from them. And we talk about, I've been, I've been beating this drum for six years now, that Jesus is very, very concerned about the unity of his followers and the unity of his church the last moments that he had on the planet to pray. We have this recorded in John 17. It's the high priestly prayer, the night he's crucified. Most of what he prayed had to do with us being unified. And so that's one of the other reasons why uh, having a judgmental attitude is not a productive thing because it divides people. It doesn't unify people. And so if we want to be unified, we really need to work to not be judgmental, right? Uh, here's the problem. Are you all ready for the problem? Okay, you're like, it's such a waste of time answering him. He just says what he's going to say anyway. All of us are frustrated with people that are judgmental, true? If I were to say I am preaching about all those judgmental people and they need to stop it, then everybody inside, maybe not outside, but inside, you're like, amen, praise God, get them, go get them, because we don't like the idea. And yet if we were to do a survey, none of us are judgmental, right? 
It's like, it was somebody out there is, and we all want, you know, the sermon to get so-and-so because we have felt the effects of being judged, but maybe we need to flip it. And I do this all the time because it's so unproductive for all of us to think when issues come up, obviously I'm innocent, somebody's guilty, somebody needs to hear that, and then just things continue on. So we, I'm always trying to flip the script that we need to think, all of us, all the time, what do I need to learn from this? Uh, how do I need to respond? Because Paul does not t- in any way like give us some, um, some tips toward changing others. You can go back and read it if you want. He doesn't give anything for the weak or the strong of how to change the other person. What he does do is try to help us see in any type of these interactions which side we're on, what our natural inclination is, and to control and to change what our natural inclination is to actually love our neighbor. And that's something that we can all work on. And all of us are probably going to fall naturally either a little bit more on the weak side, a little bit more on the strong side. And this is one of the very few times that I think... uh, I, I. Give me some grace here for a moment. I I disagree. I don't disagree with, but it frustrates me a little bit that Paul uses the word weak to describe this. And I, 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 give, give me some grace. I think it's accurate and probably I'm wrong because the Holy Spirit wrote this. But what tends to happen is we hear something different than what Paul was saying because immediately like, well, that's not me. I've got strong faith. So obviously that's not what this is talking about. But, but Paul talks about the, the, the weak person in faith when it has to do with being judgmental. So some of us, that, that's us. Uh, we have a tendency to being judgmental. Uh, maybe you're on the other side. You have a tendency of living in freedom and feeling judged. It's helpful to know what your inclination is and to know how you personally need to respond to whoever is on the other side. Okay, real quickly, and this is super important, uh, I want to make some uh, clear distinctions. Uh, Number one, Paul is not talking about something. He is not talking about commands. Okay, when he's talking about passing judgment and not passing judgment, he is not talking about commands in the Bible. A few things about commands. Uh, Commands in the Bible are where God has spoken very clearly on something. He just says, this is right, this is wrong, do this, don't do this. It's a command. uh, It's closed-handed. We use that terminology often. It's not up for debate. Uh, You you can argue if you want, but uh, you're arguing with God, not with somebody else. Uh, Examples are murder, okay? Don't murder. That's a command, pretty well set in stone, kind of a closed-handed issue. Uh, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Uh, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of things in the Bible that are very clearly commanded. They're not up for debate. And if we as the church understand the closed-handed commands, that actually brings a lot of unity. It brings unity to the mission. This is much like when you're married. Uh, Everything is not closed-handed. I mean, we're going to get into this. There are some things we can disagree on uh, that are open-handed, but we have to agree on certain things. And if you're going to get married, there's just certain things that uh, if you're going to be unified and marched together in life, the very big things in life you need to agree on. They're, 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 they're not optional. They're, they're closed-handed. And they actually give unity to the church when we agree on these things. Uh, and it might surprise you that when we're talking about commands, not what Paul's talking about in a moment, um, that we are actually supposed to judge each other on these things, right? 
some of this, uh, I, want you, I want to read this from, uh, from the Word of God so that you know I, I'm not making this up. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Paul is talking to a church. People who have agreed, we believe the gospel, we believe the Word of God, and we have voluntarily put ourselves under the authority of God's Word together, which is what we do here at Redeemer. We call it covenant partnership. And for the hundreds of you that are covenant partners, what we have agreed is that we all want to live and, and fully put ourselves under the authority of God's Word, and then we become a community that hold each other accountable to that standard, to the standard of God's commands. So Paul's writing to a church, much like us, that are trying to, to work through holiness. They're trying to keep the, the, the closed-handed things as unifying issues marching forward. And he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, which we looked at last week, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go outside of the world. He's saying, listen, uh, don't associate, don't, don't be really close with Christians who are living a very open and active sinful life. And he gives a lot of examples. He says, I'm not talking about non-Christians. He says, like, by all means, befriend non-Christians who are living the way non-Christians are supposed to live or do live. But be careful with Christians who are living a way that is contrary to the commands of God. Verse 11, he says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister. That's a person who has said, I am a Christian. And Paul says, listen, if they're in the church and they say they're a Christian, but then he says this, I'm writing to you not to associate with anybody who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Now, he's not talking about struggling with these things. He's talking about actively living these things without any remorse, without trying to be holy, just full-blown living sinful lives, violating God's command. Paul says, listen, inside the church, these are commands, and if someone claims to be a Christian and refuses to follow the commands of God, what does he say? Not, not even to eat with such a one. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Some of you, maybe you didn't know this. Like the idea, and a lot of non Christians, especially, half of what they're frustrated with, with judgmentalism, it's a legitimate frustration that we need to fix our judgmental attitudes, perhaps, on open handed issues. But if they're frustrated about commands of God, it's just a warning like, listen, this isn't me. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you this is what God's Word says, and He's going to judge you. So I just th I think it's helpful to know Paul is not saying, don't ever say anything clear and definitive in black and white because commands are different. He's not talking in, in chapter 14 uh, about commands. What he is talking about, Paul is talking about convictions, okay, commands, 
closed-handed, clearly delineated in Scripture. God has spoken uh, definitively. Convictions uh, are, are different, and when we get the two mixed up, that's when we get in trouble being judgmental. Uh, God has not spoken clearly, perhaps, about convictions. Uh, we have certain freedoms um, to exercise. Uh, we're governed by conscience and wisdom in the area of convictions, uh, and, and those things are personal. So what may be a, a conviction for me may not be a conviction for you. They're open-handed. We can be not just Christians, but Christians united together in the same church, in the same community groups, and we have differences because God hasn't told us what to believe or to think. They're open-handed issues, or as Paul says in verse 1, they're opinion. We can have an opinion on what's best for us. A few examples of these. Uh, the, the, the two that he gives are holy days and food laws. In the New Testament, these were not commands. These were personal convictions that someone had. And the moment, this, this is the crux of this idea, the moment they imposed their convictions on someone else as a commandment, that's when they had passed through into this world of being judgmental. Like, this is a conviction for me, but it also better be a conviction for you, or I'm going to judge you, I'm going to feel superior, you're going to feel inferior. Uh, let me give a few examples because, again, I don't necessarily think that holy days and food laws are what uh, we struggle with in 2020. What, what year is this? 2022. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think there, there's a few different ways that this idea of being judgmental pops up in our culture, and let me run through a few of these. Um, sometimes it has to do with dress, how formal we dress or informal we dress, which I don't know if you know this, but the Bible doesn't tell you the dress code for church. If you show up, you're like, tuxedo, awesome, praise God. You show up, cargo shorts and v-neck, awesome, praise God. When I was growing up, this was a big contention. Like, people would feel deeply judged over how they dressed, uh, and it's like, I don't show me the scripture. Like, if you want to get super biblical, we're going to get some ephods. We're going to get some tunics. I've said this all the time. You want to get super biblical? I'm going to start dressing like John the Baptist. I'm going to kill some animals. I'm going to tan their hides. I'm going to put them on my back, and I'm going to come in eating honey, picking bugs out of my teeth, and I'm going to preach real uh, excited sermons. Like that. That's the so. Like how we dress. Perhaps like it's very easy to be judgmental uh, towards someone who's not violating any commands. Just your personal convictions about what you think people should dress like. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, how about how often we do communion? How often does the Bible tell us to do communion? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't. It says, as often as you do this, do this to remember me. I know some churches that do it three times a year. I know some churches that do it every Sunday. Uh, praise God to both of them. The Bible doesn't give a command about how often it should be done. It does give commands about how it should be done, and we have some, some freedom to disagree and to try to understand each other and not to be uh, judgmental. Uh, how about worship songs? This has been a big deal for decades. Uh, not, I mean, a style of worship songs, people judging a certain style. It's like, well, uh, you know, the, the, the ones that the Bible really loves are all the hymns that were written in the 1600s. no. <laughs> I mean, there's some fantastic hymns that we sing that were written hundreds of years ago. There's some fantastic songs that were written last week. Uh, volume. Some people like it loud. Some people like it soft. But when you start to impose that on somebody else and think, well, uh, God really loves very quiet, very old songs. 
Yes, I agree. But he also loves very new, very loud songs. If you read through the Bible, this is Old Testament and Revelation, past, future. It's like there's some moments where he just starts listing all the instruments that are banging out a worship song, and it's a lot of instruments. It's loud. It's a chorus. And there's some moments where it's quieter. Like, just that, that, That's a potential area for uh, judgment. Um, gosh, we could go a whole bunch of different places on this. Uh, alcohol is uh, its an example I want to use for the next few moments because I think it's very easy to see what's playing out in Romans 14 by using alcohol. Okay, what does the Bible say commands about alcohol? Don't get drunk. And then it has a lot of things that actually encourage, say there's some good things about uh, drinking wine together, and it uh, is equated oftentimes with uh, merriment. And uh, so you've got kind of some, some, some wisdom in between where it says, like, it's, it can be very good. It can also be very bad, so be very wise with how you do it. That's, that's where the Bible lands. And then if somebody decides, you know what, I have a, I have a personal conviction because of my past, because of my family's past, maybe brokenness in our family, it's just, it, alcohol does not have any place in my life. Praise God, I think that is probably one of the safest and wisest places you can land. Until you begin to impose that conviction on somebody else as a command and judge them for doing something that has not broken God's law, but has broken your law. That's a good way to understand what was taking place in the church in Rome. Um, so I'm going to use this a little bit, this analogy, because I just think it's very accessible to the world that we live in uh, as we walk through this. Um, so in, in this situation, um, the person who has this deep conviction but then imposes it on someone else uh, and demands that they meet their expectation, that is what Paul is referring to as the weaker brother or the weak in faith. Um, and again, uh, it, just, just because Paul uses that weak in faith, it does not mean bad theology often. Sometimes some of those who uh, have a tendency towards um, being judgmental have the strongest theology and incredibly deep and honest convictions. But then over time, those things begin to, uh, the, the, the gospel gets to be over time replaced with law and begin to impose things. Uh, so oftentimes these uh, that Paul calls weak are very strong theologically, uh, very astute, have a lot of vigilance towards holiness, uh, and are, are often deeply troubled with those who uh, disagree with their assessment on convictions. Uh, they can articulate the gospel maybe well, but they take, Paul says that they take their eyes off of the gospel and it's focused that you're accepted not based on what Jesus did for you, but based on what you eat or what you drink or the holy day that you observe or you don't observe. And so then, therefore, Paul talks about that as being uh, weak in the faith. But at the same time, Paul acknowledges their conscience. Okay, and this is the trouble, and again, apply this to, to any situation. The trouble we get in when we become judgmental, not, not due to commands, but due to convictions, is we should use, we should act upon our convictions, but we should not judge based on our convictions. Are y'all with me? 
It's a wise and godly thing to act on your convictions. God gave you your convictions for your safety, for your wisdom, for your health, um, but not to impose those on someone else. So that's how Paul describes the the weaker brother in this argument. How about the stronger brother? Uh, In in this situation, they're not sinning. They haven't violated any of God's commands. Uh, They understand freedom that uh, God has removed the dietary restrictions. We can have pork. We can have bacon. We can have whatever we want. We can drink alcohol if we're not getting uh, drunk. We understand freedom. Uh, There's a tendency here that Paul says to then look down on those who are weak. And Paul says, listen, if somebody is, is, is judgmental towards you, fight the tendency to look down on them or to be frustrated with them. And he also goes on in, in other places um, to teach us not to cause our brothers or sisters to stumble. Okay? Somebody that has a conviction and you understand your freedom, you can sometimes get frustrated and despise them and just stick your flag on the ground and say, well, this is my freedom, and cause one of your brothers or sisters to stumble in their conviction. I made a handy-dandy flowchart. Um, I need you to know that I did this, the creative team did not do this, so lower your bar a little bit. I probably spent way too much time on this, but I thought it was helpful. This is just a handy-dandy flowchart for Christian freedom and navigating so that none of us become judgmental. You want to see this? All right, start at the top left. Does the Bible allow it? If the answer is no, then guess what? Don't do it. It's not up for debate. It's a closed-handed issue. Super simple. Uh, Should I murder this person? Answer? No. Should I get drunk? Answer? No. If the Bible's clear, boom, we're done, don't do it. Does the Bible allow it? Yes. You move on to the next one, okay? The Bible allows it. Does my conscience allow it? Uh, The conscience is a tool that God has given us that's very specialized. All right, so, so commands are specialized for the human race. Convictions are specialized to you, to your tendencies, to your family, to your struggles, to your past, to your present. And if the answer is no, it does not violate my conscience, then don't do it. And listen to the conscience that God has given you, but don't judge others who do. That's the first way we head off being judgmental. Understanding the difference in commands and convictions. Okay, this is a conviction. My conscience does not allow it, so I don't do it, but I also don't judge those who do. Now, uh, for for those who ask the question, does my conscience allow it? Yes. Uh, A few more questions to ask because uh, that doesn't mean we just move on and not even think about our brothers and sisters who are living under different convictions. Uh, A few things, and we could probably list a bunch, but uh, number one, what is the effect on other Christians around me? I'm I'm completely free in Christ, but what effect is that going to have on other Christians that might have different convictions? And see, this is where Christianity offers a wildly different antidote to being judgmental because the only antidote to judgmental is like to replace that with love for others. And, and Paul does this often. He's like, I can free, I'm free to do whatever I want. Not talking about sin, but just gospel freedom. And he says, I have chosen to limit that freedom because I don't want to offend my brother. And so I'm going to bend my life, if I need to, to them to love, serve, and help them. What is the effect on Christians around me? Number two, what is the effect on non-Christians around me? How is this going to affect my witness? What do they think about things? What do they not think about things? Uh, How can I best lend myself as a witness to Christ for them? And again, there's... 
there's a lot of different ways that you can answer that. Uh, with alcohol, you might say, like, well, this non-Christian uh, equates that with something from their past, and that's going to really cause them to stumble. Uh, I'm going to refrain. Or it could be the opposite. Like, they've been around so many judgmental people to sit down and have a beer with someone. Like, wow, this guy is, like, a, a real guy. And, like, it, it just ask the question for who's around you. It may go either way. Number three, considering my past, my current situation, and my desired future, is it wise? Okay? All things that are permitted are not necessarily situationally wise. So ask the question, in light of my past, maybe I've got some struggles in the past, or my family has some struggles in the past, or something in the situation, or young kids at home, or whatever it might be, or uh, a desire to do something in the future. With all that at play, is it the wise thing to do? And number four, is there a freedom that I need to give up for the sake of love or unity? Okay, if we follow this handy-dandy flowchart, it really is helpful to remove uh, the judgment when it comes to convictions because we understand the difference and we're both trying to help serve one another. So those who have a certain conviction are trying to help serve those who don't and not pass judgment, and those who do are understanding it and trying to bend. Do you all see how that works? That He doesn't anywhere tell us to try to change someone else. He talks to both sides to teach us how to bend um, to love and to serve one another. Uh, and then uh, I want to close on this, the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Uh, Paul's talking about uh, the same thing that he just talked about in the last few verses that we read in Romans 14. He's like, and here's a really helpful thing. If you struggle with judgment, just remember that Jesus is going to judge everyone at the end, and he's going to be a better judge than you and I. He is going to judge perfectly. He's going to judge rightly. He's not going to miss anything. Okay, uh, you need to know that Jesus is a judge. Okay, this is not a popular idea in our culture. Our culture does not like the idea that uh, God is going to judge everyone, but that is just unbelievably clear in his word, that he is a judge. He will return to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge our actions, our thoughts, our, our motives and our intentions, and so, like, if you truly believe that God is who he says he is and he's holy and you're going to stand in front of Jesus one-on-one -on -one in a courtroom sitting where he's the judge and you're just standing there and he's filtering through all your actions, everything you've done, everything you should have done but you didn't do, all your thoughts, our intentions, uh, we should be terrified unless something else happens, which I think is what I want to close with here this morning. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7 through 8, Paul says this. You're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus. And really what he's talking about is judgment day when Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge everyone. He says, "Who Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that what this means is for those who have transferred their faith to Jesus. He has forgiven them. He has declared them guiltless. And there's others. I think First John talks about it. Um, there's multiple other verses that talk about if you're truly in Christ, if you're truly a Christian, then you will stand very confident on the day of judgment, not because you're squeaky clean, but because Jesus has forgiven you and because of what he says. He will sustain you till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. And I think to keep that day in mind, uh, helps us be be less judgmental, right? 
Because if somebody has done something wrong, it's not our job to judge them. This, Paul says, like, it's, it's not your job to judge the servant of another. Uh, his master will judge them. That God, God's going to get everything right. Justice will be done. It's going to be done more accurately than if we did it. But it's also a good reminder that we're going to stand before Jesus. And if you think about that too long, you're going to have a lot more grace and patience with other people. When we flip it and realize that we're going to be on the receiving end of that uh, grace, grace, grace earned or grace, grace given is grace received, grace received is grace given. Y'all with me? So Paul is trying to help this church that had all sorts of different backgrounds, different convictions, understand each other, truly love each other, and navigate the world united as Christ as they present the gospel to the world. We invite you to bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. We're going to uh, pray together, and then we're going to have some time um, this morning to uh, celebrate communion, not uh, at the tables today, but we're going to do this um, together. Um, so if you would, as I pray, if, you, uh, if you're a believer in Christ and want to take communion with us but did not receive one of these uh, when you came in, if you would, while I pray, just lift up your hand and one of the ushers will come by uh, and give this to you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's bow before the Lord together and pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. God, I praise you for what you've done, for the wisdom that you've given and your commands, and that they truly are wisdom for the ages that are designed for our good. And Father, I'm so grateful that you give personalized convictions um, that are tailor-fit to our situations and our needs, our challenges, our struggles, so that we might live godly lives. Father, I pray that we are a church that truly understand the difference God, would you give us the love and the grace to hold each other accountable to your commands? But God, I pray also that you would give us the patience and the love to bend towards each other's convictions and to try to help our brothers and sisters and to serve them and to love them and to give up any of our freedoms that we need to so that we might love our brothers and sisters well. Father, I pray as we do this that the world would notice, that the world would be caught off guard uh, by our love for one another, uh, would not feel judgment passed uh, from us to them, but they would feel called into this family of Christ. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would truly be with our time this morning as we take communion together. God, remind us of the union we have with you also Jesus of the union that we have with um, one another. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Lord. Uh, thank you for your presence. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.